I am Benjamin Light. Uh, and I am Marcus Marks. I'm Heather Hogan. This is Jacob Clifton. Hello, all. Thanks for joining us. This is uh, another momentous roundtable. Um, we've received a lot of questions from people. I really want to thank Heather and Jacob for joining us. And also really want to thank the many, many people who tweeted at us or sent us questions through email or our website page or Reddit. Um, we have quite a few. <laughs> Uh, we will try to get to as many as we can. Apologize, apologies if we don't get to yours. Uh, we did have a lot of similar ones though, so I think hopefully we'll be able to talk about what you guys want us to talk about. Obviously, we had a lot of questions about Charlotte. I thought there was one kind of angle on it that somebody had on Reddit that I found interesting. This is from Kabuki Hologram on Reddit, who wants to know: Is Pretty Little Liars saying that females have to forgive their oppressors? Uh, to ignore their own feelings. Basically, the idea is that this episode really wanted us to feel bad for the ultimate villain of the show. Like, what? How do we feel about that? You guys go first. I talk way too much less time. <laughs> okay. Um. Hmm. Well, I don't know if the liars necessarily forgiven Charlotte, at least at the end of that episode. But I think just kind of in general, what does it mean that? We want like it's kind of like we spent eight episodes or nine episodes of the show seeing the liars recovering from their PTSD of being tortured, and then this last episode is like, by the way, don't you feel really bad about A? I think that there's obviously I, I think you know when you talk about forgiveness in general, you want to it's it's usually more for you than for the person you're forgiving, um, kind of to you know, move on, you know, and kind of settle things kind of like Hannah, you know, talking to like pretend Allie in Dr. Sullivan's office. That was really for her. That wasn't for Allie. So, but as to what it, what it means to be empathetic towards the villain. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I do have mixed feelings. I think maybe it's about kind of stopping the cycle, um, you know, not, not perpetuating it. I don't know, Marco, do you have any thoughts? I think this is one of those things, like we talked about the podcast, where I would have enjoyed a little extra time there to kind of get into... I mean, I think really the liars are trying to talk Charlotte off a ledge of a roof. Right. I don't I don't know how they feel, really. I mean, I don't, I don't think they want to see Allison's sister kill herself, but um, I can't imagine... I mean, Hannah pretty much voices that she's not necessarily going to forgive her, but that's not the ending of the story she wants. But yeah, forgiveness is really more about not letting those transgressions like live rent free in your head anymore. So I don't know. Heather and Jacob? I think um for me it comes down to the definition of who the actual villain is. Mm -hmm. There's uh when Ella came to work at the school, she the first thing she did was write on the chalkboard that quote from nineteen eighty four about don't do it to me, do it to the other person. Mm -hmm. Uh which is which is what Cece put them through. And, uh, and I think you could look at the long con as being, um, Cece trying to explain her situation. So making them A for each other, bringing the A world out into the real world with them, watching Emily keep a little doll of her own that she loves very much, uh, <laughs> I think is a good way to get to that forgiveness. But I still don't know if that's a forgiveness of a villain. I think. The villain is Rosewood. The villain is Mr. De Laurentiis. Mm -hmm. And which is not to take away Cece's 
agency for having done the things that she's done. But to me, there was a through line. I mean, there wasn't a moment in the finale that I wasn't shocked that I was okay with what was happening. Uh, but the through line for me was we are living <clears throat> in a, in a world, both in Rosewood and of course in the real world where women are then have against women. And, um, and Cece was a perfect example of that. Not, not that it's not problematic, but I think in terms of forgiveness, the question that we're being asked, um, it's not for me so much about un- unempowering yourself or not feeling your feelings that you feel, but asking the question, who is unempowered? Whose power is taken away by this? If I forgive Cece, who's the loser? Who is it versus? And, um, and just like with Arya in the pottery class with Jenna or Hannah, every time she forgives Mona, <laughs> which is once a week, uh, <laughs> you, you have, you have the question, who loses? What, mm. what is the cycle that's really being continued? If I stand by idly and let this woman who's in profound crisis, uh, possibly find help. So that, I mean, I get it. And as a narrative, you're looking for this sort of cathartic release of like, we got the bad. We got the bad guy. We got the bad lady. But uh, I would, I would like to see, as we move forward, honestly, I would like to see CC come to a, a place of peace and a place of joy. And I can't imagine any of the liars feeling differently about it, honestly. Once they, once they have time to heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, my favorite theme of this season is just what Jacob just touched on, and that is the idea of these liars looking into the abyss so long that they start to manifest some of these things. So if you look at this through line of like, like Jessica De Laurentiis kept Charlotte as her doll. And then Charlotte kept the liars as their doll. And then Emily kept Sarah as her doll. Like it's this thing that like, it's this through line. Um, and yes, Charlotte, you know, CC, she, she tortured them and she abused them, but it's exactly what Jacob's saying is that, um, the real villain on this show is the real villain in the real world. And so I think you can find forgiveness for Charlotte and not find forgiveness for the world, like the world that's like causing these larger problems. But I think that just, I'm thinking about that scene. I think it's in season two where maybe it's season three, where Hannah finds out that Mona didn't give Caleb's letter to her Mm. and she's like super angry and they're in that one restaurant that Rosewood had for like three <laughs> seasons. Yeah. And, and Hannah tells Mona that she forgives her. And Mona says, she just gets this like really angelic look on her face. And she just says, I've never been forgiven before. And I think it's this really, Ooh. like that, for me, that's the moment on the show where I was like, fell just deeply in love with Mona as a character. And so I think that charlotte's redemption is a thing that can happen in that way because i think that like hannah's great superpower is forgiveness and mm-hmm. i like to watch that play out on screen and i like the way that that manifests itself yeah well i think i think you're right because hannah you know is the one who seemingly processes things a lot faster than the others she's there was something that jacob said on the last round table it was so brilliant about the idea of hannah is that she's nothing so therefore she could be like everything Right. And she can, she can adapt much quicker. But I thought it was interesting as they're watching the Charlotte show on TV in, in that last episode, that Mona's right there with them. You know, right. they're still working through that idea of forgiveness or, or not adaptability, but just like relating to this person who did the exact same things to them 
um, while it's playing out again. Um, and Mona has her own issues with forgiving herself, forgiving Charlotte. I know one of the things I kept thinking about as I was considering this question, because I, I do think there is something there of like, you know, nine episodes of the trauma they went through and then suddenly like feel bad for the, the perpetrator. Um, I wonder, like, would I feel differently if A was, say, Ren, if it was if it was just a man, you know, like if, it, if the, the villain was kind of embodied by the patriarchy there? I think probably. Uh, I, I think I'd probably be less willing to, to be empathetic in that instance. Even uh, with that British accent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like this is a thing people say to me all the time. And that is, how can you forgive Mona? How can you forgive Paige? How can you forgive Allison? But you can't forgive Ezra. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't even, in my mind, I can't even believe that those, that you can even juxtapose Ezra to those characters. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think if it had just been Ren or, or some guy, because ultimately the villain is still the patriarchy. Ultimately, Kenneth is the main villain of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the ways that he oppressed Charlotte are the horrific ways that the liars have been oppressed from the very beginning. This question is asked multiple times to us kind of flippantly, but maybe we can have some fun with it. Uh, Rod Sepp on Twitter says, how can you disregard plot holes? <laughs> I saw that one. Oh, Heather Jacob, because we 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 did a whole thing about this in our last episode, and I don't know if people are ever going to be pleased with our response. I'm going to plead the Hannah on this one. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember any plot holes, and I'm sure I'm sure that they were very disappointing. I can't. I think it's because I never expected the show ever, ever, <laughs> ever expected the show to answer all the questions it was asking, like. I like it's like when Gossip Girl was on the air. Like the first thirteen episodes of that show, it's so exciting to like you're gonna figure out who Gossip Girl is. But then as it wears on, you realize the show is way more interesting, not with Gossip Girl as a person, but the concept of Gossip Girl and the themes that the show explores is so much more interesting. And I think for me, Pretty Little Liars has never been about all of these um, silly questions they're answering. Like. One of my favorite things that Jacob used to bring up in his recaps was that potted plant that one time got thrown <laughs> at the back of Hannah's door <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and no one ever explained it. Like, I love, I, sh- I love that shit. I love that shit on the show. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, it happens and then it goes away and nobody ever talks about it anymore. I'm like really into that because to me, the, the more nuanced, subtle questions the show is asking are way more interesting than mm-hmm. like, you know, I know that makes me sound like a real asshole, but that's just where I am on that right now. Well, I think, you know, you hear people talk about, like, the the endless November doesn't bother me, but the age discrepancy of, like, the Marion Kavanaugh stuff does. And, I, you know, I get that. But at the same time, you know, obviously it's a dream logic. But I think it's the TV show tells you the characters are certain about this or not certain about that. You know know where it's it's a plot hole or where it's a rabbit hole or, or... or it's a black hole or what you know like i mean i I don't i think that a lot of these plot holes who who put it recently a lot of plot holes are just an opportunity for headcanon no sir i heard that recently and i think that's just brilliant i mean we don't know that maybe the story of that night is done right before we recorded we were talking about the lodge fire and there's there's so much potential for like 15 other characters to have been there oh yeah that's like a whole other seven series seven season show just (laughs) at night yeah yeah (laughs) 
I was going to say, um, I can understand the frustration from some people, especially because the show encourages you to pay so close attention. I think you, you do risk kind of the trust of your audience if you then, you know, mess stuff like that up. How can I personally disregard plot holes? I guess I just have a lot of experience in it. Um, a big, <laughs> big fan in my youth of the, uh, the Star Wars expanded universe novels, and those were just terrible. And so I, I think I've just been really good from a young age of like reading stuff that I know conflicts with something else I wrote or I read and just mentally processing it, like finding a way to just kind of like ignore the stuff that doesn't make sense and kind of wave it aside and just, you know, try to focus on what's there. Well, it it happens, you know, Jason had a bit of a makeover from one season to the next, you know, <laughs> a bit, just a bit. <laughs> Daniel Craig and Roger Moore have both played the same character in a movie. Uh, things. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's, I, I, I get people's frustration. I mean, there's, there's like PLO Sherlock does a whole thing, like really getting into a lot of these issues, but I, I don't know. I'm just more curious about where the show is going in some cases than where it's been at times. I, I also think that, uh, like, I grew up in the Harry Potter fandom, mm. and I think that I obsessed over every detail of those books for so long in between books that, like, maybe my ability to sleuth things out in stories, like, maybe I've already used up all that capacity <laughs> trying to figure out if Crookshanks and Mundungus Fletcher were the same person. Like, maybe, maybe I don't have it anymore. <laughs> I think you saying that means that you are the true detective, Heather. Thank you. <laughs> And I think I would say most of the you know plot holes don't really like if you if you had a theory going into this episode that CC was a like I don't think I don't I don't think any of the like timeline mistakes they made in the episode really like affect it at all like it, it's not like it, like they cheated you and like uh, you know it's like oh that couldn't have happened because the ages are different they just within the episode the timelines don't totally add up but if you thought beforehand that CC was at Radley, I think you could still think that even if the timeline is different. Mm -hmm. I also think the show has conditioned us to say, like, there are certain things that happen that carry the weight of everything we're doing. Like the liars' relationships with each other and the liars' romantic relationships. None of those things are happening in this sort of surreal dream logic place. So all of the real world rules apply to that. Mm -hmm. But the, all the other A stuff and like the everybody that came to Allison's backyard the night that she was murdered and like everything she accomplished on that one Labor Day, like that does sort of happen in this like surreal dream logic kind of place. And the show's conditioned us to do that since the very beginning. So I don't find it hard to apply that to all the shit we found out in the finale at all. Mm. Well, and it's like, it's like just like that night, a lot of the show lives in that kind of subconscious, like psychological memory space right. you know like details are gonna be wrong ages are gonna be funky um the the flashback with the model cars and allison and toby and they almost kiss and allison tells toby his mom is lazy which is like the foundation for people being confused about marion showing up on that rooftop like it's like toby's memories he's driving you know to a, like away somewhere and i think like how reliable is toby how reliable is is Cece, how reliable are we? I had I had totally forgotten that scene even happened. <laughs> and so when people were so angry about it, I thought I was like getting punked. I was like, people are making this shit up. And then I <laughs> like had to go back and read one of my recaps and I was like, oh, that really actually happened. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I did see Marlene King trying to explain that on Twitter, but I <laughs> what did she say? 
Oh, it's like interpretive or something. Interpretive like, memory. They're yeah. they're supposed oh, to be younger, but we use the older actors because it's interpretive memory, something like that. Yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> I mean, any time that like Keegan Allen can play like a young teenager, do it. Go there. Do. <laughs> uh, All right. Uh, so switch it up a little. Here's one. We got an email from Sarah. Uh, it says, Mike brought Mona a basket of creepy dolls as a present. If you were dating Mona, what present would you get her for your one-year anniversary? <laughs> I, like her, I like her spy shit. I, I, would, I, I think more stilettos with ice picks in them. Oh, my God. That was so amazing. Any kind of like GPS Veronica Mars gear, I think would be the way to go. Mm-hmm. I would be afraid to get that kind of stuff for Mona because <laughs> I would be afraid that like no matter how much money I spent or how much research I did, it would be like to her, it'd be like the Kmart knockoff shit. Right. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. everything she has access to is so much better than that. I think I would just get her like a, a small little universe of her own in a locket. Mm. <laughs> that is a great answer. <laughs> Maybe just Amazon gift cards. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's so weak. No, um, I think you have to go for something sentimental. If you try for something functional, I think she's just like, yeah, thanks. I already have one way better. Yeah. Maybe just some flowers. For me, I I would just really like to do something really special, like maybe like a special dance in the basement of Radley. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be something I think she'd really enjoy. You uh you do the thing like uh like she did with Dr. Sullivan where you you give her a special plant and you're like, You should put it right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, oh my god, yes. Like that seems amazing because it's like so apparent that Dr. Sullivan is terrified of Mona. Yeah, like yeah. that's the first time that you realize. Uh, oh. Maybe you just give her Sarah Harvey tied up in her basement. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love I love people's uh splintered reactions to Sarah Harvey. I think she's gonna be a defining character just in the in the over the course of the hiatus yeah. alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to really see those camps break out. (laughs) (laughs) So here's one we got in many different phrases and whatnot. I'll go with a firecracker root on Twitter here uh, who asked, do you agree, disagree with CC being a, if you could pick a, who would it be and why? I mean, I agree with CC being a, because she's a, (laughs) but I, yeah, I love it. I think making, in order to buy CC, regardless of her history, in order to buy in, the show needed to establish the worst possible abuse, the, the, the sickest, the kind of thing that would ruin you in a way that, that Mona wasn't even ruined. Like the, It's already set the bar so high. Everyone in that town is so screwed up and so crazy. So it's like, how do we take it to the next level? And I think giving us a 45 minute life portrait of this woman who's wonderful, who's lovable, you know, and, and, and a really neat kid and then just grinding her into the dirt. That was what, that was the only way to do it. You know, everybody was saying in the weeks leading up that it had to be, that it, that it had to be Rosewood as expressed through presumably an adult male authority figure, a father. And they found a way to collect all those pieces together in in this in this woman, and then introduce us to this woman in a way that we didn't know her before. So mm. I I wouldn't have chosen anyone else. I think while there are problematic aspects of it, 
Uh, I don't know if you guys were planning on talking about that. But I think people probably want us to. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, you know, while those aspects do exist, I think ultimately it is it is a straight shot as far as I'm concerned. You guys go ahead and mm-hmm. answer too. Yes, I mean, I I I loved CC as A, and and never mind the fact that she perfectly embodies the the philosophy of the show, really, and like like you said on HuffPo, Heather, like. I don't have a problem with a minority villain as long as what makes them a minority is not what makes them also a villain. Um, but one of the things we were talking about the podcast leading up to is we wanted it to be one of the characters, one of the actors that could really have that great villainous confession that was full of heart and pathos and, you know, something interesting and funny and smart. And I think Vanessa Ray killed that. I mean, could Julian Morris have done that too? Sure. But I mean, I'm a little bit biased because I've I've always loved Cece on this show, <laughs> and I I don't know secretly always kind of hoped that she would come back even if she wasn't a I don't know I it, it could have been I don't I just don't think I would have enjoyed it as much as like you know the black hoodie person turns around and it's Maya you know or if it's Officer Barry or, or what have you oh or, shit I would have loved it <laughs> <laughs> holy shit that would have been amazing <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I I just, I don't know. I, I'm thumbs up on, on the Vanessa Ray reveal. I'll put it that way. Um, But yeah, it it was problematic. They could have written it differently. It could have been a different story. It could have gone down differently. It went down this way. And ultimately I find it fascinating and, and enjoyed it. But there are stuff that, you know, to pick apart and talk about. CC is is a made a lot of sense. I guess I would have liked it if they could have written it in such a way that she was ultimately on the liar's side. Maybe that's just myopic on my part, but like you know the the transgender aspect. It's like, did you have to make them the villain? Um, could you could you have written it in such a way that she was actually trying to help them, and that there was kind of like you know another you know hoodie behind the hoodie as the more sinister person. Um, I don't know. That that was just my feeling is that like there's just this kind of feeling in your stomach while you're watching the episode that's kind of queasy or just like, man, they're going there. So I um, have pretty much been only thinking about this like nonstop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Literally, it's like all I'm thinking about. Um, And my my struggle is that um, when I think about this story as a person who never has to worry about being murdered or assaulted when I leave my house. Like when I think about the story from a storytelling perspective and when I pull back and I look at the idea of Kenneth D. Laurentiis being the ultimate villain of this show and and it really being an intersection of so many terrible things like transphobia and misogyny and having all of those things combined together into having this villain and like Jacob saying stomping this character into the ground. From that perspective, I just find it invigorating my my mind is so excited by all of these different themes yeah i i feel like it's something that i'll be able to think about and talk about with smart people for a long time i feel really stimulated intellectually by it Mm -hmm. so that's part of how i feel about it but the other part is that you know because of my job and because i do what i do um my interaction on this has been largely with trans women and and every trans woman that I've spoken to, with the exception of one trans woman, um, was really, really 
deeply bothered and, and very hurt by the story and fearful of how the reveal was going to like play out in the real world and like how it would affect them personally. And so I, I'm having a hard time marrying those feelings together um, because, you know, the reality for trans women in this country right now is, is a terrifying reality. And so I even have a, I actually have a, like I have a real sense of guilt for the part of me that even enjoyed the story or, or still feels excited about the story because when I think about it in context of how things are going in the world right now for trans women, it's just really, it's really hard for me. And then I also have this like guilt because on the one hand, I'm like, but how does this play to 16 year old girls? And then I'm like, how I'm selling them. I'm doing the Rosewood thing to these mm-hmm. 16 year old girls, right? I'm do I'm being Rosewood to these girls and saying that they're just these little children who can't figure this shit out on their own. And so I'm I'm kind of all over the place about it right now, but mm-hmm. that's basically that's basically where. But all all that all that said, I thought that Vanessa Ray did a great job. And one thing Jacob was saying all season long was, um, please don't let this be a gender dysphoria thing. Please don't let this be a trans thing. But outside of that, please let this be CC Drake, right? <laughs> because right, it's those things where CC is this fascinating character and. Vanessa Ray is a very dynamic actress and she's captured our imaginations in ways that I really feel like only a very few characters on the show have done. So mm-hmm. that's a very, a, a lot of circumlocution, but that's just where I am with it right now. Mm-hmm. I just wish they could have found a way to do the storyline without still making her the ultimate villain. Like maybe she was, but then somebody else stole the game from her or she was doing also, her best. Why could it, CC just have been Jason's sister who was assigned female gender at birth. Like, why couldn't she have just, why did she have to be trans? I don't understand. I really don't understand why it had, I think it would have been just as shocking and just as satisfying if mm-hmm. CC had not been transgender, but that, I don't know. So we got a, a fair amount of questions about like, did we think this was planned from the beginning or not? Do you think that, kind of ties into that and you think this was something that was maybe added after the fact i 100 percent do not believe this was planned for three years i know people keep saying that this was planned for three years i just don't i don't believe it like maybe it was maybe it existed in the minds of a few people on the show for three years but i don't think it was common knowledge among the show's Hmm. writers writers for for three seasons that this is a thing that's going to happen Hmm. and i actually find the story more problematic if i think that it's been in play longer like, I feel like if you knew that this was going to happen, if you knew for three years this was going to happen, there are certain holes you didn't need to step in that you could have really prevented. Like, the he, she, it thing is really mm-hmm. hard for me. Mm-hmm. And that's so easily preventable if you know for sure that this is going to be a transgender character. And Lucas. Well, right. <laughs> There's no need to call back to that either way. No, absolutely. Exactly, Jacob. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I kind of suspect that they probably had CC as a since they introduced her i mean because especially in seasons three and four it's like it's like yeah like she's definitely red coat right um but i yeah i I think who knows for sure but it it sure doesn't seem like before maybe towards the end of season five that they really started maybe laying the groundwork for the transgender storyline right i think that's probably a really I think that's a really good observation. I think maybe they knew it was CC, but maybe they didn't realize that this is how they were going to 
how it was going to shake down. Well, it is kind of it's then it, it, it starts to feel kind of even even worse because then it's the transgender becomes a plot twist, basically. You know, it's like one oh, right. one last way to fool you. We're going to suggest right. that that Charles is a and then nope, just kidding. Right. Yeah. And it and it it it, it adds a lot of extra questions with Charles wanting to be presented as Charles in Welcome to the Dollhouse. Right. Um, there's a certain maleness that yes. wants the liars a moment to identify with, um, which I didn't feel was like present necessarily in Game Over. Um, I just, yeah, I feel like an extra half an hour would have really added to this episode, would have really let some moments breathe. Because, I mean, as, as interesting as a lot of CC's confessions were, there was still more that we needed to hear from her psychologically, I think. Um, I mean, I'm glad that that questions of transition were not brought up. Right. You know, um, I don't think we needed to know that ultimately. I mean, for the timeline people, I know they're they're upset because it is a it is a process. But I'm glad that we kind of respected Charlotte's privacy there. Right. Becoming who she is. Uh, yeah. I just I wonder though if there's going to be I don't know some behind the scenes like. Uh, uh, conversations or, or talking about the process of writing and crafting this story at some point. I mean, I, I'd be fascinated to hear that. I'd be fascinated just in general, if this was just a, a, a general mystery story being laid out over three seasons without even the way that it came to light. But yeah, I think CC was probably intended from the very beginning or at least intended to be a strong contender. Sure. All right. Well, here's a, a different question from Trish Dulka asks, uh, what do you think Barry Maple's future looks like? Wait, who? Officer Barry. Detective Barry. Detective Barry. Wait, who? Oh, Detective <laughs> Barry. <laughs> well, his future's invisible to me. <laughs> Jacob, do you have any thoughts on that? Is that Ali's boyfriend or is that Sean Ferris? Uh, neither. He's the, uh, detective who only shows up in season premieres and finales. Uh, he was the one telling everybody to stand down. There's civilians on the roof. He's like the only black character that's still alive on the show that's lasted mm-hmm. multiple seasons. Like, I think he was even in season one. Yeah. Uh, telling Pam, uh, everybody lies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He'll be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chief of police. <laughs> He'll be fine because they cannot kill off any more black people on this show. <laughs> like, it is too far. No more. All right. Let's see. Let me find another question here. Um, we had one. Okay. So you have to keep one of these animals, give one up for adoption, and put one down. Uh, Tippy the bird, Pepe the dog, and Cooper the raccoon. One of my best friends asked this question. I can't believe she asked me to kill an animal. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> she was literally just in my house like three days ago playing with the feral kittens that I'm socializing. So <laughs> I think that I would, uh, I would, uh, keep, uh, keep Pepe. Because mm-hmm. he seems the most domestic. I would, uh, I would give Cooper the raccoon to Mona as a birthday present. <laughs> and then I would let Tippy go free. Tippy deserves to be free. Yeah, I feel like let, let go free is probably better than put down. <laughs> free, free tippy. <laughs> you guys, that tattoo on Sarah Harvey's back is for sure tippy the bird, right? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I'm really trying to propagate the theory that uh, Sarah Harvey is tippy the bird. 
that she's I mean, made I'll of buy matches. It. Yeah. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. When she rubs the tattoo, does she like transform, <laughs> transmogrify into into the bird? Is it basically like Lady Hawk, that old Michelle Pfeiffer movie? <laughs> oh man, that's a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here, here's one for uh, Bob Loblaws and Son. Uh, do you think Allison is playing a long con or manipulation with everyone, or has she really changed? I hope so. Oh, and you know, I, I should say we got another similar question from somebody else about, you know, what do we think of Ali this season? Is she boring now? Or, and, and then what does that say about us if we if we do want this to all be some sort of con that, like, we're not okay with Ali just being, you know, normal? For me, I feel like it goes back to the villain question. Like, we say... um, there's not a problem that didn't start out as a solution, and uh, uh, all of Ali's behavior. If that's if that's innate that you're manipulative and terrible, I don't want to live in a world where that is a possibility for a person. If you're living in a world where we've had it carefully constructed for us that Ali's behavior makes absolute sense, then the break comes in when we realize Allison is alive. There was that whole season or half season where it was just Ali getting on buses and crying. Oh Allie. my god. <laughs> manipulating entire families into sending her money <laughs> that like that that to me was when she stopped being a mythological figure and started being a girl who was not that different from the girls around her mm-hmm. uh, except all of their moms are pretty awesome and her mom is as it turns out not the monster quite that we thought she had a lot going on she had a lot on her plate um, but I, I think I would love to see Allie boring. I would love to see Allie more and more boring. And uh, and I would like to see her more than anybody at peace because she did not ask for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pretty Little Liars have a thing where they go to Haiti and then they come back to Rosewood. Awful lot. And um, Allie didn't really have that option. So I, I, I think it's not as interesting as a story when she just sits around and goes to church and mm-hmm. accidentally pulls you know, scams. <laughs> but the idea of watching her imperiled without using the girls to run interference, without using the game to play the game, could be an interesting story in and of itself. And that is what I would like to see. Honestly, when we were making our guess, it was like, I would really like to see her... Um, deal with the fact that she is part of a very specific family and that she still has those men in her life, you know, presumably. And um, it's more interesting than uh, what she has done upon returning to Rosewood, which is basically, I think, trying to keep herself under control, Mm. which is interesting in theory, but um, a lot of soccer games in practice. <laughs> Heather, your thoughts on Allie? Um, I, I keep coming back to what J.K. Rowling talked about at the end of Harry Potter and how everyone was really frustrated with the epilogue um, because it seemed so boring. And I just, I'm, I keep thinking about her talking about these children who lived through a war and how the bravest thing that you can do when you live through something like that is to try to live a normal life, is to try to love and be committed to somebody the way that, you know, that sustains a lifelong relationship to have children. Like, and she talked about what a, what a brave thing it is to be 
the characters who are able to leave the war behind, like, and, and not continue to chase that thrill and to chase that high, um, but to just, like, just live their lives. And that's what I keep thinking about, about Allie. And like Jacob's saying, I hope that for her very much, but I do, I just find it incredibly boring to watch. And, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I, I also, I also, I also feel like I, this isn't really fair because it's not fair to, it's not fair to be angry at a story for not doing what you wanted it to do. But I also, I always really wanted to see the liars come to an understanding about why Allie was doing what she was doing because there was, there are very clear reasons why she was being so Machiavellian. And there was, there are very clear reasons why she was so horrible. I mean, Allie was horrible mm-hmm. and there are reasons for that. And, um, I kind of wanted to see an exploration of, of why. And I, I feel like, um, while I do want her to be happy and have, and have a very wonderful, calm, peaceful life, uh, I, 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 I missed the bite that she had and I missed the, um, I missed the way that Allie was such a charged character that you never knew what she was going to do. So literally anything was possible and you never knew why she was doing what she was doing. And I just found <laughs> that really fascinating. Um, so as a, a human being talking about another human being, I, I want Allie to, to be happy. But like as a TV viewer, I just, I, I want her to be also like a charged character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, um, yeah, I agree. Like, it's like the, you know, living through the war or living through a dollhouse, you want characters to find peace of the world. But, like you said, you want Allison to have a happy ending that fits her. But for, like, at least another season and a half of TV, I almost kind of hope that Allie, or if she's Mrs. Rollins teaching school or what have you, I want. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted I wanted to be like uh, uh, like the start of an Indiana Jones movie where where something comes up <laughs> she has to go put on the fedora or the black wig or whatever and duty calls you know she's gonna go be awesome and then she's also gonna have like her day life which maybe is a little mundane and boring but sometimes that's that's good you know you can't be you can't be amazing twenty four hours a day Mona Vanderwall could be amazing <laughs> we can't all be Mona yeah that's true that's true yeah I. I... I think I probably broadly agree with what you guys are saying. Um, I mean, maybe there is something to it that Allie is older now. I think maybe there's kind of like a resiliency to younger people. Like they don't know that their lives are so completely fucked up yet. And right. as, as she gets older and, and she then comes home and kind of has time to like decompress instead of being on the run constantly. And then she kind of realizes how kind of messed up, you know, I mean, I could definitely see that taking having an effect on her and her, Kind of slowing down a lot, you know, not running the usual scams. And I'm sure going to jail and all that definitely impacted her as well. I mean, I think her, her character arc makes sense, but it's not as much fun as we've gotten from her in the past. So I, I do hope that they find a way for her to not just be like soccer mom, like 100% of the time in the time jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, I actually think it's a fascinating story to talk about how she makes the transition from being a person who has no agency and is completely oppressed and everyone's hiding shit from her to the place where she comes to now all of the information's on the table and she has complete control. And, and I think it's a fascinating story to look at how she goes from being who she was to if she's going to be a soccer mom, like how does she get there? Like I'm interested in, in the how she gets there part. Yeah. Survival mode. Right. Exactly. How do you switch off survival mode and just live, like live? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is the character that was, you know, both alive and dead at the same time, and True. could literally visit you in your dreams, <laughs> and, and impart wisdom and clues, <laughs> and be enigmatic, and then disappear as if she was never there. But who left that door open? <laughs> There's something I think we really need to talk about, and is that like the finale? I, I'm still unclear on what the finale was telling me. Did Allison or did she not fly a plane into the woods? <laughs> To save her friends, I feel like the I feel like that finale was explicitly saying everybody thinks Allison flew her plane into the woods, but it didn't happen. Is that right? I'm not a hundred percent sold on that. I I don't know. Um, I mean, maybe you could say it was Sarah Harvey in the plane instead. No, but, no, <laughs> <laughs> controversial character. I mean, um, like one of the best parts of that show of that episode and of Pretty Little Liars period is there's a scene where jenna and shauna are like holding hands on that picnic bench and you hear they've put in a sound effect of a plane flying (laughs) over their head it's so great and then 20 minutes later there's like a plane like landing in the woods and alleys like pulling people so it's really important to me personally (laughs) the sound effect that sound effect is one of my favorite moments on the show (laughs) maybe it's something where Kind of like that night where there maybe there was more than one plane You're flying right. in there that's, because that's that's probably what it was. It it kind of seems like that's how Jenna and Shauna got there because uh, the whole Nigel Wright thing where he was flying Jenna around, but then <laughs> Sarah Harvey was also maybe flying, and and maybe Allie flew in as well. So maybe there's just a lot of planes landing there. The Thornhill like, Lodge used to be an airport. <laughs> when you're 15 in Rosewood, you get a yellow tank top mm-hmm. and a pilot's license. And a mask of your own face. A mask of your own face. You, see, that's the thing is, some of us are wearing masks of our own face. Some of us are wearing masks of somebody else's face. Yeah. It's really it's really where you end up in life. That's that's Allison's real struggle. Um, so we got asked this question a lot in various ways. One of them is from uh, Heather, in, from, who emailed us. Basically, what, you know, do you have a, a favorite episode or two, and why is it your favorite? Um, I would say I have a couple, like, just rattling. Oh, I know, I know which one your favorite is already. I have a couple. The one of them is the Con Gang, which mm-hmm. was like a tour de force of CCness, but also Spencer and Jenna and the like Trooper Daroff, which I I love that Noel Con- Noel and Eric Con's cabin. I absolutely love that. But you know the usual shadow play um, from a, a writing standpoint and just the way it elevated the shows. I love A is for Answers and Welcome to Dollhouse. I, I thought what they did for the show, the way they opened it up from things that you already knew, was fascinating. Um, and just, you know, Allison's reveal about her mom burying her alive, you know, was such an emotional moment, but also really like keyed you into a lot of like where the mystery was going. And we saw that in Game Over Charles. And then of course, like Songs of Innocence, Songs of Experience, uh, for a lot of reasons, but those were a whole other kind of PLL that was, I think, very important, very necessary. Um, I mean, Songs for Innocence, I mean, was, I remember correctly, it was basically untouched by the A mystery, right? It was just the liars right. coping with the after effects of the dollhouse. And I mean, it was some of the most powerful. I don't know. I mean, was there a more powerful episode of TV this season? No, I thought the first three episodes of Pretty Little Liars this season were some of the best episodes of TV I've ever seen and definitely some of the best episodes the show has ever done before. Mm. I, I thought. Yeah, I thought Game on Charles was amazing, but then Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience just transcended the sh- just for me. It just transcended uh, 
it, it took all the best things about the show and put them into like 80 minutes of television. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shadow Play also is another, obviously, one of my my absolute favorites. Mm-hmm. Jacob, any favorite episodes? Um, well, I definitely there's there's a moment when it's, I I'm not great on episode titles since I'm not mm-hmm. recapping. Uh, but when when you realize that the girls are permanently in the dollhouse, that their PTSD has 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 like overlaid the overlaid the simulation, like that there's no difference. It, what what stuck out in the first few seasons was we would talk about our stalker that's trying to kill us, and then we would talk about lipstick, mm-hmm. and that you know one of the one of the really groundbreaking things about the show was that it was able to do both and and make you buy into the idea that they could do both. Right. And, and so when that went away, when there was no, when there was no safe place and you really got why the dollhouse was their bedrooms, why it had to be a perfect uh, copy of your bedroom, yeah. that sick feeling. Like normally I go to the show because I really like the moments of humanity, these moments of beauty within what's going on that like, that you've got the Anita moment in the pottery class that I always talk about. And oh Hannah, yes, always. And Hannah talking to the the ghost alley, and those those moments of of real compassion where the where the scene takes you to a place where you're like, they are not going to let this girl jump off this roof. They are totally going to let this girl jump off this roof. <laughs> <laughs> and then they don't. And so having having it come at at me from a uh, from a, an emotional direction that I didn't know I was vulnerable to. Mm-hmm. When you're like, now you can't ever go home again because even when you go home, it's just, it killed me because we talked so much about Rosewood is not a safe environment and that everyone in Rosewood is coming at you all the time. And then to have it just be like, no, literally you are not allowed to <laughs> one scrap of earth that, that belongs to you. That socked me in the gut so hard. And it was like this, this is the show raising its game. And, I kind of, I, I'm getting a little choked up actually. It's so crazy. Like, I don't know. That was it. That like, mm-hmm. you can make Caleb come into your house and take a shower with you, but part of him is always going to be this werewolf that lives in the walls of the high school. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to, no, it's just like putting it on the, putting it on the girls that they, that even that can be taken away from you. I think it's, uh, honestly, it, it informs my feelings about TT in the end. That she also had safe place after safe place taken away from her, and 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 that was that was a big part of why I was plugged in to that review. Um, I know we had, we kind of joked about like the prisoner after Welcome to the Dollhouse, but yeah, it, it's kind of similar to that second to last episode of the prisoner, though, where you have to kind of walk through somebody else's life and relive it in scraps and moments, and like the songs episodes, I think, like you're saying, did that, you know, where the place where you would go home and take off your armor and sleep and rest and dream like the dollhouse is there still. Maybe you're still there. Um, Jacob, you're always good for a good turn of phrase. I think it was, it's not about t- like putting the girls in the dollhouse. It's about putting the dollhouse in the girls. Yeah. And it's, it is, it's, yeah, it's like putting a little bit of Cece's life into them. And now they're in her shoes. Well, I think my favorite episode answer is probably gonna be much different from your guys. Um, I've always really liked uh, S1E14, Careful What You Wish For. This is the Dance-A-Thon episode from Season 1. Oh, that's uh, this is the episode that starts with uh, Ian walking in as the video of him is <laughs> on the laptop, like right in front of him. 
Um, Caleb shows up for the first time in this episode. Um, I just really like this episode, and I, I want to say... That's that, the episode where Emily gets super drunk, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. want to. I want to say this is the first episode where I then went and read Jacob's uh, recap for the first time. I think this was the first one. Uh, it was a really great recap. I loved reading it, and it it kind of like it exploded my mind of like, wow, there's so much more to think about. Why I watch this show now? I had I had forgotten that episode until I was doing my um, until I was revising them. I forgot that that was also the one where Allie dances, uh, where Hannah dances with Lucas. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And it's like this, the best intention becomes something so poisonous, but then that is itself prostitution, and it just keeps flipping over, and you're just like in it with Hannah to a degree. I think that was the first time that I was like, this show is perverse as shit. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that was when I sort of fell for the show. Honestly, when I was, when I was thinking about it, it's, it's making Hannah dance with Lucas is one of the grossest things that Mona ever did. Well, and then you have the, uh, the, the Simone character, Arya's former babysitter, like trying to hit on Ezra and like, the, Oh, I forgot about her for sure. The <laughs> Like the shade she throws where she's like, Oh, Arya, remember how you used to put that pillow between your legs while you slept? And like, Arya's like mortified. And it's, it's like, there's weird, like power balances happening. Like, I, I just loved it. There's also a, th- a weird thing in that episode and the one before it, where it's like, are Ella and Ezra going to hook up? Mm-hmm. Like that was a weird thing. Oh, the jealousy of Byron. Yeah. He tells, uh, what does he call Ezra? Like a lightweight or something like that? Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's one thing to have Mona force Hannah to eat those cupcakes in front of people to do something to herself, but to then like have her do something to Lucas, like you said, for money too. It's, it's a, it's a dark show where you're, you're dying with Hannah, but you're almost rooting it on at the same time too, (laughs) just because it is so curiously interesting, fascinatingly like perverse. So it's where you become A in a way. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm thinking about as we're talking about this. That I feel like Pretty Little Liars' best run of episodes was the season three A, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's when Cece comes to town, right? That's when yeah. she. For, that's when we first get introduced her, and she has that like boutique or whatever. <laughs> and um, yeah, that that I'm just thinking about those episodes right now. Single fright female. That's a great episode stolen kisses yes there's so many wonderful episodes in that first uh half of season three and cc's a huge part of that season mm-hmm. so that's interesting to think about well i mean just really both halves of season three are wonderful on different levels and who they affect i mean i think season 3a is interesting because the fact that you know in retrospect that that lyndon james slash like cousin nate right is an a but all this A stuff is happening around there. It kind of gives it a much different like narrative thrust. And then, of course, in 3B, you have the tour de force that is like the Dark Spencer saga. Oh, yes. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Season three. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Lyndon James, uh, we got asked this question several times, various people. Um, do we think that Lyndon James killed Maya? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he he has to have killed Maya, or else Emily killed an innocent man, and like that's not gonna happen on this show. Emily didn't just stab some random guy on top of a lighthouse. I just yeah, I'm always fascinated though by the uh, the call she gets at the end of like Emily, I owe you one. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted Emily to like call in that marker, you know. Mm. I totally forgot about that. You guys are amazing. <laughs> 
I don't know how she would do it. Like, how how does one summon a? Do you just like stand outside of a giant like uh, like piece of paper, like call me or whatever? I, I always just wanted her to like, you owe me one. Missed connections on Craigslist. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> you put it you put it in the newspaper in the nearest like town that has a creepy doll hospital. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what put Arya in the box with uh, Garrett's body instead of Emily. Because up until that point, like no, nothing bad ever happened to Arya. Yeah, true. And she, I feel like, bounced back from that pretty resiliently. Arya was amazing this season. Yeah. 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 So Cold War fan wants us to speculate on what the Liars' senior yearbook quotes would be. <laughs> I feel like I, I need more time for this one. I don't know. Do you guys have any, any thoughts on any particular quotes you could see any of the Liars having? Um, It feels like Spencer would pull something really pretentious off like a quote website. Mm-hmm. So I actually happen to have, for some reason, don't ask me why, Henry Miller quotes, like, would you quote in front of me? And so I'm just going to throw up from Mona. It's, uh, imagination is the voice of daring. If there's anything godlike about God, it is that. He dared to imagine everything. <laughs> <laughs> Mona Vanderwall. That's so Mona. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, that's perfect. I feel like Hannah probably just has like a, a movie quote or something not quite as, you know, pretentious. I'm trying to think of one that might fit her, but like meet me in Montauk. Sure. <laughs> I'm like obsessed with uh Allie Allie quoting that Taylor Swift song that says the rumors are terrible and cruel, but honey, most of them are true. <laughs> like I feel like that's a total thing. That's like t- half of Allie's character. Mm. Like yeah, it, it like everything that you imagine is gross is even grosser than you think it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can you imagine being like Ali's student? Like you're, I don't know, like a sophomore or whatever, and it's like your teacher is like the legendary Allison De Laurentiis. Like how, how where, much? How much would where, your students know? Right. Where could she even go where people didn't know who she was? Mm-hmm. I almost hope that the kids don't know. I hope that they find her just to be like a. Like a boring, like Good Morning Miss Bliss character, and then like secretly she's just like doing this crazy social engineering on like the boys before they can grow up to you know really terrify women later on in life. Did you guys have any particular questions you wanted to bring to the table? I think this is a good question. Has the season six finale changed your perspective on the show? Hmm. Yes, in the sense that from theories to just the mindset that goes into the show it's like allison says you kind of have to play it all over again and see it differently and now you have like two different versions of the show running side by side in your head mm. and it's it's you know it's like you were saying Heather, there's there's two parts of you like, that react to this and like they're you're trying to merge them in a right. way that feels okay um which i think we always kind of expected with whoever a was revealed to be um I saw a lot of things where people were upset, you know, because it wasn't Ren or whatever. It wasn't it wasn't Ezra. It wasn't Toby. They wanted to feel more betrayed by the reveal or something. And it's like, <laughs> well, some people did feel kind of betrayed by the reveal. And it's like you were always going to have that where you had to now, like a dollhouse of its own, look at something a lot differently that was once familiar. And I think I think everyone has that in some way with the finale, right? That's a really good analogy. I think that maybe it kind of solidified some some ideas they'd had like i've i've always kind of suspected that they don't they aren't looking as closely at details as we think they are and so i guess it's kind of like uh 
confirm that opinion a bit. Like I always kind of figured that they were really doing the show like a half season at a time for the most part. Um, kind of like, you know, setting up a 12 episode run and moving on to the next one. So I think that aspect of it is definitely like a, a confirmed suspicion. I feel like watching this. It solidified some of the range as far as what are the ambitions of the show and what are the limitations of the show? I feel like both of those things got clarified and solidified. Like you're saying, I didn't expect, um, if, if, if it was CC, if, if the if the worst possible thing were to happen, um, I didn't expect to feel like they had talked it out, that they had done mm-hmm. the the amount of homework that I felt was done in order to do it right, mm-hmm. um, to whatever extent it was done right, which I'm not, I, I don't have the platform to say, but uh, I it was it was a lot of like we hear from from some of the creators and producers. I've always had this sense, like, I think I have a pretty good view on, on what the, the ambitions of the show are, uh, what the show does and does not care about. And, um, this, this was a pleasant surprise as far as like this whole season, this whole half season has been, um, clarifying in that way. Like we are prepared to go this far, go this big with the dollhouse. And we are prepared to tackle the, the most radioactive possible storyline. Um, I know that if it happened at the end of a, of a, uh, of a show on, on like a regular network show, like not to point fingers, but like any given regular show, if you were following a serial killer to the end of the season and it turned out to be the situation that we were presented with, um, I, I, I would be super grossed out. And so the idea of the show being like, not only are we allowed to do this, but we're, but we're going positive or a way that is, um, smart. Uh, that, that signaled an ambition to me that I've always wondered about. And that, that was, like Heather said, it was, it was exciting on, on that intellectual level of, if that's true, if that is what, if that's the level that they think that they're working on, then all of the overthinking that we've been doing, um, you know, can come to a rest and, 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 and be what it was, which is that this is the show that we've been watching. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree with you completely because I think one thing that that the sh- that the finale really solidified for me is that the type of overthinking that I personally enjoy about television mm. is is the thing that this show's been doing all along, mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to the overthinking that's like, well, what about this thing? But what about that plot hole? Like whatever thing. Like I don't think about TV like that. And so um, when when people continued to bring that up, I I felt un kind of annoyed by it but only because i was like i don't want this to be the show i'm watching i want it to be the show that i think it is and i think the finale did prove that it is the show that we talk about it like and that we have these conversations about it like um one of the other things that i realized today when i was doing that um huffpo live thing was just how just like how fucking much I love this show. And like, I, it is, and the reason was I, like, I was, I was on this panel with these wonderful women who were really upset about, um, the finale, uh, two, two trans people and, and the host who's a cis woman. And, um, and I loved being on that panel. And I loved exploring those things with them, but I got like really choked up and like almost started crying because I felt like I, this is something that I really, really love as a story. And this is something I really love as a culture. And this is something that I love in terms of the conversation that we're having about it. And if for some reason that were to be taken away from me, 
if the show hadn't threaded the needle the way that it had threaded, or if it plays out differently in season 6B and becomes something that is just, you know, unforgivably offensive, and that's taken away from me, I will feel very brokenhearted by it. Because I really do really fucking love this show and the and the culture of this show and the conversation of the show and the people that I've met through it. Um and I knew that I liked it and enjoyed it, but I didn't I didn't realize how deep deeply rooted it was inside of me. Um oh. so yeah. Yeah, I mean I think that's one kind of just feeling I had after the finale. I'm I'm bummed that some people hated it so much just because I really like the show and it's it's like it's you know I I wish that other people you know either didn't weren't weren't so upset about the plot holes not that they shouldn't be but I I guess I just wish that they could enjoy the show the way I do mm. you know I mean I, I you see a lot of people online who talk about how the show lost a viewer they're not coming back for 6B and I I understand and I respect where they're coming from I hope in a few months they'll reconsider um because I'm, I've always been excited about the time jump. I would really like to see more of like Cece and where her journey is too. Five years on, in addition to the other liars, like where's Mona five years later? Where is, right. where are all these characters? Yeah, speaking, um, speaking of that, we did get quite a few different people asking us if we had any kind of thoughts or predictions or hopes for what these characters are up to after the time jump. Hmm. I will tell you that I have thought for a long time that the show was pushing its luck in terms of how long it was going. And mm-hmm. now that we've had the time jump and the reveal of Charlotte B. Laurentis and there's only a season and a half left, I'm like, there's not enough time, <laughs> which is crazy. It's crazy. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. I, uh, I have to say real quick, one thing I've been thinking about for a while is that the liars do kind of live pre-Dollhouse in like a magical world where it's like they, they up until Ezra's revealed to be the bad writer who's well aware of Arya's age when he first comes to her in that bar like they live in a kind of magical world where it's like they're almost unaware of how serious some of the attention they get from men is and stuff like that when they're all in their early 20s though it becomes something much different and i'm i'm kind of curious about that just never mind the fact that getting in touch with my favorite characters and what they've been through five years later like what do you mean you're interested to see how, as they grow to understand, do you, are you saying that you think it'll be interesting that they might understand how gross their childhoods were? There's that, but also like continued, like whatever new characters show up and the attention they give or, or like, are the liars going to be a little more aware of just like the shittiness of some mm-hmm. men? Like, like would, would interactions with a Lorenzo type play out much differently now? I see. I see. Um, never mind the fact that, like, yeah, I think they have to do a lot of reflection. I mean, I really yeah. hope Arya's written her own book. <laughs> yeah. Although I don't, though, now, because Ezra wants her to write a book, so. <laughs> I hadn't thought at all about what a politicized group of liars would be, what a radicalized Hannah would be like. What happens when yes. Arya has the vocabulary and the agency to describe why something makes her uncomfortable that's a completely different show and there's not i love that i love that Mm. yeah i love that too i've never even thought of that and and i'm so excited i'm like on the i have scooted to the edge of my chair (laughs) right now because that sounds so exciting to me like what would what would hannah be like (laughs) after she became a women's studies major like Mm -hmm. what would hannah be like in five years like that's just fascinating to think about Mm -hmm. yeah 
I think personally what's what's been on my mind about the time jump, um, one of my favorite TV shows was Lost and the kind of a legendary time jump there where they you find out that you're looking at the future and it's like it didn't turn out happy. And I'm not necessarily saying I want the liars to have like totally shitty lives in the future, but I that idea has always fascinated me, the idea of like not everything turned out the way you wanted it to um, and kind of what what are their lives going to be like five years later if they weren't perfect storybook lives? Um, right. Like one of the hardest things about being an adult is coming to terms with this lie you bought into in high school that like, once you graduate from high school, like that's like, everything's going to be okay. And like mm-hmm. the world is your oyster and everything's going to go how you want it to go. And you're a grown up now. And like, uh, that's it. Like people grapple with that for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. who had pretty normal high school experiences deal with that for the rest of their lives also like jet like 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 let's see jenna like where's jenna bring mm-hmm. back jenna yeah i think she's supposed to be coming back i'm not sure i feel like i saw that mentioned somewhere jenna and melissa yeah oh yeah jenna and melissa i uh oh, like is melissa married to ren did she hopefully give ren the boot um i uh you just put him in my mind benji the idea of out in the middle of nowhere and spencer and aria me and spencer <laughs> just like aria we have to go back. <laughs> I said you don't and, want them to go back, of course. And then they make out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still can't believe that Melissa took Ren back. Like that's that's yeah. crazy to me. Like people complain about plot holes. <laughs> well, supposedly, did we ever even see his face? Yeah, have we really. seen his face since they got back together? No, uh Julian Morris tweeted that, that he'll be back. I like his tweet. He's just like, So, I'm not Charles, but I'll be back before the show's over. But like I think it was implied that he was there in like the flat when Spencer was going out. You just on, like, never saw him. The date with Colin that Melissa oh, that's was all right. giddy about. Because he was filming New Girl at that moment in his life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like I, it's like I always wondered like is that why Spencer was so giddy about pushing her little sister off on this older British man because that would keep Spencer in her mind off of her older British man down the <laughs> hallway. A lot of these questions are like plot questions. Like, do you think Bethany's really dead? I mean, probably. I don't know. Do you guys have any differing opinions on that? I no, hope I so. Yeah, I don't think it matters. Yeah. Oh, which here's Rebecca Gordon asks, which liar mom survived the basement five years later? <laughs> Ella. Ella. Ella comes out on top. Ate the other yeah. three. I don't know. I feel like no, that can't be right. <laughs> who do you think? Who do you think would eat the other three? Uh, Ashley. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> or or Veronica. I feel like Ashley is in it to win it, though. Like she'll she'll do anything. Yes, yes, absolutely. I did. I loved all of the scenes with those moms. I loved it so much. But I also thought it was amazing that it took them that long to get together and get drunk and decide to like march <laughs> across the yard and get some answers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well and i just i can they can you do that again please like mm-hmm. you know can that be like if we don't have any more halloween episodes can we have that mom episode i mean <laughs> is it too much to ask for one mom episode a season I yeah <laughs> here's one from kim i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this uh who do we think put the knives in jake's uh punching bag holding mm. oh I think that makes perfect sense. Aria. <laughs> Aria put the knives. <laughs> that would be a great twist. You think it's Ezra, but it's really Aria. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I could see it being Ezra. He seems like the type that, like, I think it would it would damage his personality to know that there's this other guy out there who kind of like looked down on him, you know, like kind of saw him for who he was. So I feel like Ezra would want to take revenge on Jake for that. Yeah, he's like, is there somebody here who's a better pedophile than me? No, I don't think so. Because <laughs> 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 well, he didn't, he didn't feel that kind of competition with like Baker Bro Zach. Oh, right. Jake, okay. Jake really put him in his place. <laughs> yep. I liked Ezra's little brother. He was great. What happened to that kid? I think yeah. he went to an MTV show. Oh yeah, he's on faking it now. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's where a lot of the PLO characters go now. <laughs> I know. Chloe's on that show. Lindsay Shaw's on that show. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of the, the theories, like, you know, if you wanted Ezra to be Charles, then it's like, was that guy just an actor that Ezra hired to pretend he was his brother or something? Right. Right. Let's see. I know we've gotten various kind of this question asked in different ways from people of like, you know, what what liar would you be or what one do you empathize the most with? feel you know most connected to um i just i feel the most connected to hannah in the sense that i want to be like hannah like i want to i want to grow the way that hannah grows and i want to embrace this kind of empathy that hannah has in her life and the courage that she has um both to like examine herself and her own motives and to actually dig into the darkness of other people and be able to forgive them and see them for who they truly are and forgive them. Um, Hannah's just the best. She's the best friend. She's the best Mm -hmm. girlfriend. She's the best daughter. Like she's just the best. Mm -hmm. So um, she's a hero to me and I want to be more like her. Yeah. Same. I'm an Aria that wishes I were a Hannah. (laughs) I know. Me too. (laughs) Me too. I feel that. I mean, I, I've emphasized with Aria way more times than I'd like to admit. Um, I've kind of felt Spencer's pain when there's times where you can't trust your own internal monologue or your own like worldview. I, at times I've emphasized with Mona that there's a kind of pain that you can't control the way it makes you feel or what it makes you do. Um, yeah. And then Hannah, like, like you said, she, she takes people at face value. Um, and she's, fiercely loyal that's the only time i think hannah stops listening it's when she's so passionately ready to go do the right thing even in the wrong way i wish i could emphasize with emily's heart <laughs> i don't think i'm as good as person emily is but i like that even emily like she is i think at times one of the best people of the four liars even she can have like a private little shower that contains you know sarah harvey in it <laughs> and what she wants her to be um and I think that's that's one of the best things about Sarah Harvey is that she's not who you think she's going to be or who you want her to be. Unless you're me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm I'm definitely a Spencer, like one hundred percent. Um which is maybe why I, I feel like most protective of Arya. Like, I don't know, like people people hate on Arya Aww. a lot. And I was I was it's like let let Arya be Arya, you know. We there's plenty of Spencers and Hannah's in the world. Mm. Um but yeah, I'm, I'm totally Spencer and same type of personality. Yeah, I mean Spencer, she she rooted for Ezria when it was risque and and dangerous and cool, and then she rooted against Ezria but supported it when she started to see it for what it really was. Mm-hmm. After after she fell in love with Arya, I think you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we all fell in love with the idea of Arya. Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> 
Even Ari is in love with the idea of Ari. Definitely. <laughs> Here's one. Uh, what do we think Noel Khan is doing after the time jump? I think Jacob's got him in his own little dollhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I love all my dolls. <laughs> I I feel like Jake or uh, sorry Jake. Uh, I feel like Noel Khan like went on to join like Skull and Bones, and he's now like a full fledged junior member of the patriarchy. He's friends of like <laughs> he's friends of like like Logan Hunsaker. Um, yeah, no. he's. He's just nope. wearing a suit and crashing cars and, and dating two models at once. Absolutely. I think that Noel went to college and finally realized he was gay. I think Noel Khan is the gayest male character I've seen on TV <laughs> in a long time. I think he realized it and he came out and uh, he's probably living a happy life in Bushwick or something. <laughs> Riding a unicycle with a handlebar mustache. <laughs> he's Drinking. Gonna- $15 cocktails with chamomile foam. Like, that's Noah Khan's life. Today. He's got a neck tattoo of his own face. Yes. Yes, of course he does. <laughs> I think he becomes a party planner. Like, in in the Ghost Train episode, he was, like, not impressed with the like the spread that they put out there for the Halloween guests. Oh I, I, I think that, like, secretly, that's that's why he has those parties, is he really, you know, he likes to entertain. Mm-hmm. So I think he's in the, uh, I don't know what, what we'd call that industry, but the... The party industry. Yes. There are many ways Noel could be involved in the party industry. (laughs) (laughs) As as a provider and a client. Many, many ways. Uh, Do we have any thoughts on the NAT club? (laughs) (laughs) Jacob. (laughs) Let's see. Play it through. What was going on? Jason. Ian. Garrett. Garrett. Oh, yeah. Garrett. Garrett. Melissa, too, right? Melissa? Or did kind she of? just find out about it, like, after she saw the videos? It's not like she was implicated in it. Yeah, she's, it's murky. It's murky how, like, how aware she was, how involved she was. Same thing for, for Jenna, I think. Right. 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 I think as satellites, but not as primary creepsters. Right. right. The NAT club is like this. If you had asked me a month ago who killed Maya, I would have said A. I don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, it, there, there are certain huge things that, uh, that I just, I haven't thought about. But the idea that it was, that it was Cousin Nate and that it was this separate horror movie taking place inside of our horror movie. That's how I feel about the NAT club. Like, is it connected to anything else? I don't know. Does it have to be? Are they still creeps? Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that we spend so much time connecting these dots and assembling these dots and Spencer can't open her mouth without that stuff happening and like that really it just it's a coincidence that uh that the NAT club kept being involved in this surveillance in the same way that Ezra was involved in surveillance but had nothing to do with A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- I think when I think about the NAT club I think about that being Allison's first exposure both mm-hmm. symbolically and literally um to the horrors that she was going to face as a young woman in Rosewood. Um, and even Kenneth really is like the figurehead of what the NAT club represents. So yeah, I think that's what Jacob's saying. I think it's a horror movie within the horror movie. And it's the thing that forced Allison to, uh, these really gross realizations about life. And really, I feel like it's the thing that was the catalyst that made her kind of a monster as a teenager because she understood like 
female sexuality as currency because of the NAT club, and that informed every interaction that she had with her friends all the time. Um, oh. It's like, so yeah. I feel like there's a great opportunity in the time jump when the liars get together to have like 3 p.m. cocktails at the Radley or, or whatever, <laughs> where they can just rehash these things. And, and like all of these quote unquote plot holes can just be like, oh, so those guys were just creeps with like audio visual equipment. Right. Okay. Now I know. Let's get some more drinks in here. <laughs> I can definitely see it just being a kind of a, another story that's not totally connected to A. I do think it'd be neat if somehow, like, the villain, the, the ultimate villain was, like, the entire town of Rosewood somehow, or, like, this whole kind of, like, like I don't know, patriarchy within the town. Something like that, where, like, the NAT club was, like, taking videos for somebody within the town, like, you know, multiple people, maybe, like, Peter Hastings is their leader or something, where... Uh, you know, it's like they, the town is always, you know, maybe this is why Rosewood is so fucked up. It's because this is kind of like being an ongoing thing with the town or something. Like rich men in tuxedos who have cocktail parties and wear animal masks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I actually, I kind of like the idea that it's just these teenage dudes emulating these other just regular fucking dudes that they've mm -hmm. seen be in their lives like mm -hmm. their dads and the cops in the town and whatever mm -hmm. it makes it it makes it a lot more nefarious to me yeah, um, yeah. If it's just regular guys well and this was taking place around a time when i think like what's that guy's name like joe francis and all of those like like revenge porn people were right, right, were right still right. a thing i mean so yeah i mean that's they probably thought that they were like entrepreneurs which is the <laughs> saddest thing you know right Right, again, like female sexuality of yeah. currency, absolutely. Yeah. Here's one we had from Kyla. Uh, which character that doesn't have a lot of FaceTime do you miss the most? I sure, I sure would have said Cece Drake. <laughs> that would have definitely <laughs> been my answer to this question. <laughs> exactly. I, you have to say Ella. But honestly, and I'm not saying this, I, my actual answer is Noel Kahn mm -hmm. because he's the only person who is safe enough to get away, it's like Challenge Day is one of my favorite episodes. He's safe enough to get away with straight up saying that misogynist stuff, like was planted on Andrew Campbell, right? Without being so scary that you have to get rid of him, like Andrew Campbell, right? And Noel Khan has this way of sidling up, flanking you, dropping some kind of horrific misogynist truth bomb, and then he pulls out his guitar and and. <laughs> Sun, the sun shines through the rain. You know what I like? That I like having a voice that's not the sort of creepy voice of God that all of the other male characters are speaking in. Noel Khan reminds me more of actual teenage boys that I went to high school with than anybody on that show. Yeah, everything he does, like even like when he had that. I'm on the Halloween train episode where he had that like demon inside his chest <laughs> or whatever. Like that's just a, such a sixteen year old boy thing to do. <laughs> so yeah, I totally agree. I uh I like that. I like the idea of Noel Khan returning in the time jump, being supposedly an adult, doing the same stuff and then playing like Oxford comma on his guitar or whatever. But <laughs> at the same time, like I it's it's not just him, it's like a lot of characters. I always love when they had not so much like a Gilmore's girl thing where you had the whole town around you, but I love the idea that they had a wide cast of supporting characters. And I always Miss when you can't work them in more, like you know, not specifically her, but like a Sydney or a Jenna, um, Holden, Bridget Wu. Oh my god, <laughs> endlessly fascinates me. 
she's just she's this tall tale that's apparently also a person that you can go to prom with i mean i love that you didn't see them in the prom episode that you only heard about them or you could only witness them through like instagram living like normal lives that people take instagram photos of or fake instagram photos of um so it's like there's like a whole world of characters that i wish had more screen time i i love sydney because she brings out the monster in Emily. Like, <laughs> Emily's yeah. interactions with Sydney are amazing. And I think Shay Mitchell is at her best when she's threatening, like, to murder Sydney. <laughs> I think I mentioned that in the last episode but yeah. that we did together. I I, I love that whatever it is that she brings out in Emily, it's like that um, instinct where Emily's uh, at the hoedown and she just starts stabbing that hay with the pitchfork. <laughs> and, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. fuck it, who's in here? Who cares? And she just starts... So, yeah, I... That instinct is the thing that Sydney brings out, and I love to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I always liked that with Noel Kahn, it seemed like him and Allie had some sort of understanding. We never really knew exactly what it was, but I think that was another thing that kind of made him able to get away with being Noel Kahn, is that we knew like Allie had some sort of power over him. Um, so yeah, I could definitely see more Noel Kahn. But I, I don't want to see, like, I don't ever want to hear the reveal of of his secrets too. I mean, I think his secrets too, is just that he is like every guy Heather went to college with, you know what I mean? Like, I also love the idea that Allie had power over him, but not in a way it wasn't like she was using her sexuality to have power over him. Like she did with other people. And it wasn't like she was manipulating him. It was like, he was somehow like just kind of an asshole who was in it with her. Like maybe Mm -hmm. he just liked the game. I don't know. Like he's the new A maybe. (laughs) But I, I mean, like you have to think back to then Escape from New York as Cece and Allison are having their moment, and Noel Kahn's like, "And now you two kiss, right?" <laughs> oh, I had totally forgotten about that. <laughs> He's just that's that's the kind that's of thing Noel Kahn would yeah, say. That's, that's, just that, that's that guy. Yeah. I would like to see more Jenna. Um, her and Allie, like any any time I could get a scene with Allie and Mona or Allie and Jenna, I feel like that's just going to lead to good places. Everything Jenna does is the best thing. Like, just when she's sitting <laughs> on the porch playing her flute, that's the best thing. When she's at, at school just eating some cherries, that's the best thing. So, yeah. Or, uh, uh, what is Emily's line that's burned my memory? Move your stick, Jenna. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, she's, she's like, the the dark memory that just, like, physically walks around and reminds them like a like a bad mirror of who they are or what they what they could be i yeah i mean what what the hell is jenna up to five years in the future what is her life like i i would love to see that right like it's fun it's fun to think about bringing jenna back because then they have to confront what they did to her as they're confronting what charlotte did to them like it's a it's that cycle it's that same thing Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Well, I I think the liars have probably never really forgiven themselves for what they've done with Jenna, which is why they don't know how to act around her. Like, (laughs) of of all the characters on the show, I think, you know, even Mona, they can be more comfortable with than Jenna. Like, Jenna makes them extremely uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, I think that, like, it's it's telling that Emily's always the most hostile toward Jenna, because I think Emily deals with the most guilt. And then Arya is the least hostile, but also perpetrates continual crimes against this poor girl, <laughs> but doesn't particularly feel guilty about it because, you know, that's just so Arya. Mm. <laughs> I just, I just want a shirt that says that's so Arya on it. I really do. I miss, I miss PLO annotations. Yeah. I mean, what, happened to, what happened to the, those guys? 
I think she just got too busy to do it. Sure. All right. Well, I think we've covered a lot of good ground. Are there any final questions or topics you guys want to throw out? Jacob, did you miss writing about Pretty Little Liars this season? Or did you enjoy being able to watch it without having to um, turn around and create something about it? It was it was a season that I would have loved to have written about, right? Like, it was, it was kind of uh, all of my shit mm-hmm. ha- actually happening. But um, the, the, the ability to just, like, actually, like, turn off the computer and turn off the lights and sit down and watch my show is not something that I had ever experienced. And it was, and it was really, it, it was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up that for anything. It was beautiful. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Well, here's here's one minor one we can kind of ponder as we close this out. Mia asks, what are Mona's true intentions? Man, I just think Mona wants to be awesome. Yeah. But she'd like to, I don't think she wants to be alone in that awesome, though. You know? No, I don't think so either. And I think that's, I don't know, that's, that's like, I, I still always think back to something, Jacob, you said in our last roundtable, was the show is so brave and strong for here's the devil but here's their soul and i think that's that really changed like the way i view mona and 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 i love that about mona too is that she's i don't know she just wants friends she just wants those damn girls to be her friends (laughs) yeah i think i truly believe that without mona and without janelle Parrish, um there could have been no charlotte dealer into reveal like i think that mona set the stage for this idea of the devil with a soul of a person who commits these horrific things and can be redeemed and can become a fan favorite character and can become someone that the liars maybe don't trust, but um, rely on and have a kind of begrudging respect. And that Hannah continues to fully love. Like, I think the idea of Hannah loving Mona is a way that Allie could love Charlotte. And I think that without Mona and without Janelle Paris, the show never could have done um, what it did, what it did with this final reveal. I think it's impossible not to compare those two things. Yeah. Mm. Well, to me, Mona has also always been like, uh, there are times in Spencer's life where her intellect gets in her own way. I would say mm. most, most of the times in Spencer's life. That's <laughs> right. To some degree. And the idea that, what, that, you know, we, we come from all different walks of life as fans of this show, but I think we can all, um, identify with, uh, the original Mona and the original Lucas to some extent or another with the original Hefty Hannah with to some extent or another. And the idea that really what kept Mona in that sort of horrible loneliness and snow globe is also the thing that we're seeing makes her great. Right. That it, yep. That she's captured by her intellect in a way that she really had to burn down the entire world in order to get any peace from it. But now she's she's like Indiana Jones. She just shows up. The raccoons <laughs> get in their cages. <laughs> <laughs> she tells everybody, you know, like, well, I can see just from looking at this that uh, they have these drugs in their system. Like, <laughs> and then she takes off her shoe. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, she's she's actualized to a way to a degree that is frankly shocking, considering the existence of a for us was all about making these these girls our girls as we watch them change more and more powerful it's like by going to Radley and going through the entire process she is she's like the good version of Allie almost she's just far enough ahead down the road that she can be like here's how we're gonna navigate this here's you know here it's gonna be okay I know that I'm Mona and it's 
it's like, we're, see, here's another thing. We're not even talking about that when in the finale, Mona was like, oh yeah, I killed Bethany, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, I mean, really, like, it was like that shot and her face just like, whoops. You yeah. know? And like, and yeah. And we just accept that as, oh, I mean, that's, you know, Mona yeah. does what Mona does. I mean, you know, I think the last round table, we were talking about how much we love Mona, but at the time, you remember, she was dead. We That's didn't, right. we didn't want her back. We, we called her Vander Jesus even then, which implies, you know, a resurrection is her business. Sure. And I love the way they brought her back. I mean, I didn't like seeing the character, you know, put in pain or suffering, but the fact that she's having to be Allison, you know, to go through those motions and whatever their complicated, dichotomy was but then just that shot after she can finally drop the facade night in the dollhouse and she's leading the liars through the hallway giving them the lay of the land and i I just thought like to myself could mona ever be any greater in my Mm -hmm. eyes and then she pulls off her silver high heel and (laughs) there's like a switchblade in there and i just I, i always like I'm getting more more breathing room for game over because what is she doing as she finishes watching that giant tv show Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like she's stealing all of Charlotte's money, putting him into offshore accounts. <laughs> you know, she's just solidifying her taking over the world is, is what I hope. Yeah, I keep trying to think, like, what would Mona be doing after the time jump? And I feel like there's no occupation or role she could be in that I would find unrealistic, basically. I mean, she could be president. And I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> all right. Well, I really want to thank you guys for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Yes, thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. Hopefully we provided answers to a reasonable number of our listeners and definitely feel free to keep asking us questions and try to get back to you on Twitter. Yeah, um, to hopefully doing this again. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, we'll be back. Uh, well, I mean, obviously we'll be back on the podcast, do other things, but can't wait to, to get back to the show again in January, I guess. Yeah. All, All right. right. Thanks. You guys have a good night. You too. Thanks. All you right, too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.